Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, if you want to go ahead and find Jeremiah 29, uh, we'll be in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah this morning. Um, some of the verses that sometimes are taken out of context, they might make us smile a little bit. Uh, there's one from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's verse 51. Uh, it's often found above changing tables in church nurseries. Um, it actually says, we shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. Other verses, when they're taken out of context, should actually make us shudder when we think about who said them. Uh, Luke chapter 4 verse 7 says, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And that should make us shudder because it's actually what Satan said to Jesus while he was tempting him. And my fear that while our text for today from Jeremiah 29 verse 11, that it has been copied, it has been calligraphied uh, on plaques, on uh, postcards, posters, coffee mugs. I don't know if it has always been understood in context. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I know that God has used this verse in many of our lives to, to strengthen our faith, to help us hang in with hope when, in situations that seem really hopeless. There's no doubt that these words have literally been a lifeline for many people who have went through tough times. But my goal today is that by considering this text in its proper context, our understanding and our appreciation will grow so that we can apply this text to each of our own individual situations. So today, as we continue working through this series, Context Matters, it might be good to remember the foundation that we laid in the first week, where we learned that we need to work hard at handling God's Word, because how we handle God's Word, it determines whether we'll be an approved worker or one who is ashamed. So without anything else, I want us to pray and learn how we can put this amazing passage in Jeremiah into its proper context and learn how important it is for our own lives. So let's pray and we'll read God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for this first day of spring, for this day of hope, of rebirth, of, of just new beginnings. And Lord, I just ask uh, for your blessing as we study your Word this morning, that, that we learn from it what you desire and how we can put your word into practice into our own lives. Allow our hearts to be open to you. Allow our minds and spirits be ready to accept what you desire for our lives so that we can live faithfully and obediently to your command to go and make disciples. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. So Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4, our text reads, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, I want us today to look at five lessons. I want us to look at five lessons that we can learn from this passage, and the first of those is that we need to submit to God's sovereignty. We need to submit to God's sovereignty. The very first thing that these people needed to know is the same thing that we need to understand today as well. Verse 4, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In the first way that we can recognize his sovereignty, that we can submit to it, is to recognize who God is. We need to recognize who God is. God refers to himself with two titles in this verse. He's the Lord of hosts. It could also be translated the God of angel armies. He is the Lord Almighty, but he is Yahweh. He, he is the mighty and the all-powerful God, and he's also the God of Israel. He, he's saying that he is in a special relationship with his people. He is Elohim. He is the creator. He is the covenant-keeping God. And to put both of these names together, the Lord of hosts and the God of Israel is telling us that God is powerful, but he's also personal. He, he is totally majestic, but he's also we need to recognize who God is, and then we need to respond to what God does. We need to respond to what God does. If you look at verse 4, it says that God sent the exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon, and he repeats that again in verse 7. He says, I have sent you into exile. Now, in the first verse that we didn't read, it, we find that it was Nebuchadnezzar who took them into exile, but he was simply the instrument that God used to achieve his purpose. And I'm sure this made absolutely no sense to God's people. They didn't see what God was doing. They didn't understand what was happening. But I imagine much of what God does today doesn't make sense to us either. And I want you to listen to this this morning. You need to settle this today. He is God, and you aren't. See, God's train, it doesn't run on your track. God does what pleases him. He doesn't do what pleases you. See, God, he's the potter. We're just the clay that he uses. And his ways are not our ways. And we have to be okay with that. I, I love what Tony Evans has to say about this. He says, everything is either caused by God or allowed by God 
And there is no third category. God's not always going to do what we want Him to do. But He will always do what He says. First, we need to submit to God's sovereignty. And then we need to bloom where you've been planted. You need to bloom and blossom where you've been planted. Uh, It's easy for us in the world today to cry, to complain about how bad things are, how bad the culture is. It's easy for us to run away from where God has placed us. And we'll make those excuses. We'll say, it's not safe out there. It's, It's different today. Things are different than they used to be. It was so much easier for us to reach people in the past. We, don't, we have so many obstacles that didn't exist in the past. And what we do is we retreat into our churches and our homes and start working on more excuses. And that was the temptation for God's people who were in Babylon. And we see this very clearly in Psalm 137, verses 1 and 2. It says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. They said, we can't even sing and make music. We're so unhappy and we're in such a bad place. Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? But just like they used to say in ancient Israel, there's no use crying over spilled milk and honey. God gives them two commands. He gives them two commands. First, they needed to settle. They needed to settle. What God says next is equally surprising in verses 4 through 6. If you look at this, it says, uh, verses 5 and 6, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. See, God's telling them, don't just stop complaining about the culture. Quit whining about it. You need to settle in and settle down and live out the command found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. Be fruitful and multiply. I mean, for most of us, we're stuck where we are. If, if you're not winning the lottery this week, you're probably not going anywhere anytime soon. So you need to settle down where you are. And the next command God gives them is to saturate. He says, saturate. He says, build your houses. But you need to open the doors to your homes to the people around there. Verse 7, listen to this. Listen to what God tells them. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. See, God says seek. And that's not a passive word. It is an active word. It means you can't just sit back and do nothing and wait this out. He says do something. Don't wait. He says, take action and start working. What God wants them to do is to influence and to impact the people around them by seeking the city's success, to seek that city's prosperity, and then find peace among the people who are holding them captive. God's saying, I want you to live on mission. I want you to live on mission where I've planned 
where, where I've planted you, where I want you to press on, knowing that God has a purpose for his people in the place that he had put them. But what about you? What about me? Are we willing to go where we're most needed? Are, are we willing to step outside of our comfort zones and do something? Are we actually willing to reach our neighbors? And you need to remember that your neighbor is anybody, anyone that you come across. Your neighbor, they live in your neighborhood. They work in your workplace. They go to the school that you go to. God has placed you where you are today with a purpose, for his purposes. And if you would want to learn more about saturating your society without ever compromising your convictions, just read the book of Daniel. Daniel lived in this hostile environment, and he remained faithful despite the circumstances around him. See, we need to submit to God's sovereignty. We need to bloom where we've been planted. And the next one we see in this passage is we need to flee false promises. We need to flee false promises. One of the biggest challenges that Jeremiah had faced was dealing with the prosperity prophets of the day. They were promising peace. They were saying, oh, we're just going to be here a short time, maybe two years in Babylon. But verses 8 and 9, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie and they are, that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Today, even, we still need to be careful about prosperity preachers. See, prophecies of peace and financial success doesn't necessarily mean that God wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy. There are many pastors who will misuse Jeremiah 29, 11, saying that God never wants anything that bad to ever happen in your life. And understand that simply naming it and claiming it doesn't make it true. But people still fall prey. They still fall under that spell because they're hearing what they want to hear. And they listen to people. Anything from preachers to politicians, and it's disheartening. We allow ourselves to be so easily deceived anymore. People, they'll feed into our base desires, they'll manipulate us, and they'll twist and they'll warp what God says. People will tell us we need to make America great again. And I'm just going to be up front with you. That's not our concern. We, as Christians, we need to be more concerned about making Christ great again in the world. Because we've dropped the ball. And anyone who ever tells you that it's going to be easy, they're just, they're not telling the truth anybody who just says, well, we'll just leave it, we just need to leave it in God's hand. 
They're misrepresenting God's word. We need to be focused. We need to be focused on doing God's will and run from those who make false promises to us. See, before Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 21, 10 is a verse that I have yet to see ever printed on a coffee mug. It says, for I have set my face against the city for harm and not for good. Be a good verse for a coffee mug. Declares the Lord, it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. See, God will not always do what we want, but he will always do what he says. We need to submit to God's sovereignty. We need to bloom where we've been planted. We need to run from false promises. And the next one, we need to trust God's timing. We need to trust God's timing. I, 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 I really like what Erwin Lutzer says. He says, when we don't wait on God, we'll always wish that we had. And we can trust we can absolutely trust God's timing because first, God will always fulfill his promises. God will fulfill his promise. Check out verse 10. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Let, let's just admit this up front. 70 years is a long time. Basically a lifetime, isn't it? It's a long time. And one, one pastor writes this, he says, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. And that means for these people that, that God was speaking to, many of these exiles, the adults, they would never return to Israel they would never go back to their own land. But their children and their grandchildren would. It reminds us of the importance of leaving a legacy for the next generation. See, we can't simply be concerned with ourselves. We can't just make sure that we make it out with no concern for anybody coming after us. We're meant to invest and those who are younger, so, so that his work and his will will carry on even after we're gone. The word completed in that verse, it means to be satisfied. God laid out this timeline and this passage on purpose, and when it was fulfilled, he would visit his people. It means he's going to search them out. He's going to attend to them. And he's going to return them to their own land. And that means that we can count on God's promises too. Daniel chapter 9 verse 2 says that he read this exact passage in Jeremiah almost seven decades later and learned that the captivity was about to end. Daniel chapter 9 verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of, des of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And do you know what Daniel did once he discovered that? He says, let's fast, let's repent, let's prepare ourselves to return to our own land. And that's because God doesn't just fulfill his promises. God has plans for his people. 
God has plans for his people. And we come to that terrific verse, in, verse 11 in Jeremiah 29, and we see it in its proper context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. It's interesting that the word for plans can also be translated as thoughts. In fact, the Hebrew text of this verse uses thoughts or thinking three times. And I want to share some really incredible implications from just this verse. The first one is that we learn that God is thinking about his people all the time. God is thinking about his people all the time. The word you, it's, it's in the second, for English people, um, it's in the second person plural. It means he cares for the people that he has called to himself. And that would be us as the church today. It would mean all of us who are gathered together here in this place, in places like this, all over the world. God is thinking about his people all the time. Also, God also cares for his people individually. God also cares for his people individually. Isn't that comforting? To just sit there and just think, God... God's thinking about me. Uh, it's mind-blowing of the six million, not six million, it's six billion people on this planet. And God still has the time to think about you. Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, there isn't a sparrow that hits the ground without God knowing about it. He knows the very number of hairs on our head. And for some of us, that might not be as many as others. He still knows. The next one is God alone knows what he's doing. This is a hard one for us, isn't it? God alone knows what he's doing. God's not always going to do what we want, but he is always going to do what he says. One of the things that we see in this passage is that after that 70 years of captivity, while the people had been prone to idol worship, um, they were apparently broken of that habit. It seemed to cure them of that. God alone knows what he's doing. We might not see it. Next, God desires good for his people. That word in our text, welfare, the Hebrew word is shalom. It refers to wholeness and peace. God is good, God is great, God is gracious, and just like Joseph declared in Genesis chapter 50, he loves to bring good out of that that looks bad while we're in the midst of it. Genesis 50 verse 20, as for you, now, put yourself in, in Joseph's shoes at this point. His brothers, they had uh, left him for dead. They sold him uh, into slavery. He'd been put in prison. He'd been through a lot over a coat. He suffered. And after all of that, he could have got even with his brothers. He could have put them in prison and made them pay for what they'd done. Instead, he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive 
as they are today. God desires good for His people. Next one, our future, it's bright. Our future is bright. The Hebrew here literally reads to give you an expected end. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 promises that God will finish what He's begun in our lives. He's not going to give up. He's not going to quit on what He started to do in our lives. Yeah, we're not home yet, but we will be one day. We need to submit to God's sovereignty, bloom where we've been planted, run from false promises, trust God's timing, and finally, here's the last one of the five, we need to seek Him wholeheartedly. We need to seek Him wholeheartedly. Don't miss the connection between verses 10 and 11 and verse 12. God promises and plans, they should compel us to call out to Him. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And verse 13 is another good reminder that we can't be passive in our relationship with God. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, you need to understand you will not find God unless you're looking for him. See, we're not called to be half-hearted We're called to be wholehearted in our relationship with Christ. I'm I'm, I'm reminded of what one pastor had to say about this. He said, if you are 95% committed to Christ, you're still 5% short. Which leads us to ask ourselves a question. Are you seeking Him with all that you have? Because when you long after the Lord, you will find what you are looking for in life. And you can't put this off. Because one day, it will be too late. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I love the promise found in verse 14 of Jeremiah. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Don't you love that God will not ultimately abandon his people or his promises? And all through the Old Testament, we see that thread of redemption. As as God preserves the line of Judah and the throne of David, and the ultimate fulfillment of Jeremiah 29.11 is found in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You see, Jesus, he is our righteousness. This morning... 
This is all you're guaranteed. You're not guaranteed tonight. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you don't know Christ as your own righteousness, today is the day for that to change. Christ came into this world. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a Roman cross. He was buried. And on that third day, raised back to life. So that through our faith and trust in Him, that our sins could be forgiven. So that we could have a hope for the future. And you only do that by coming to Him. Romans 10.9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it's that simple. But it changes everything. And today, if you, don't, if you do know Christ, and you maybe kind of feel like those people did in Babylon, in exile, away from where you need to be, God says, you need to work where you are. You need to make the best of the situation you're in. And sometimes that's hard because... Let's face it, life's hard sometimes. We're not all in the best situations, but God will use us in those situations. God will use us to impact the world if we're willing to do what he's called us to do, to go and make disciples, to make much of Jesus to a lost world. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know how much time we have left. But we do know that we can be faithful until that time. And that's what he's called us to do. As the worship team comes this morning, I, I, I just challenge you today that if you don't know Christ, if you do not have that personal relationship, let that change today. Let go from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from sin-filled life to forgiveness. And if you do know him, make today that you commit to do what you can right where God has placed you, knowing that ultimately his plans aren't to hurt you, but to see him glorified. And when we're faithful, that's what happens. So as we sing this morning, I encourage you, don't leave here without knowing Christ or being committed to serve Him with everything that you have. Because if you are only 95% committed, you're still 5% short. I'm going to pray, and if you need to, come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just this day to be in your presence, this time to gather with other believers, to worship you, to come close to you, and to leave here serving you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that that changes. That, Lord, that they see that you're the only answer, you're the only solution. And you're their only hope. And Father, I pray for those that have known you for, for a brief time to a lifetime, that today they make the decision to serve you 
to not look back, to be faithful, to be obedient, and just make much of you to this world. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for us. Thank you for what he continues to do in our lives. And allow us to be your people, achieving your purposes in the places that we've been planted. Lord, thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?